What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Whitetail Bloodline Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Sauters, and we got episode 73 for you on this one, and it is a good one. Got Katie, who's an avid trapper, hunter, and just loves being in the outdoors in general. So we dive into her trapping, what she's doing, uh, her whitetail season, where she killed two bucks, one with a bow and one with a gun, then a lot in between. So I hope you guys enjoy this one. Without further ado, let's get Katie on the phone. How's it going, Katie? Good. How are you guys? We're doing good. Excited to talk with you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. We like to get into it hot and heavy, Katie. So let's just get straight into it and uh, let's get a little background on you. Like who you are, uh, how you got into the outdoors and where you're from a little bit. Sure. So um, my name's Katie. I uh, was born and raised in South Central Wisconsin. So that's where I live now. Um, I got into hunting was the first thing that kind of got me into the outdoors. So when I was 12, I would go deer hunting with my uncle. Um, so that kind of stemmed into, I did that for a few years and then I started getting into turkey hunting. Um, and then turkey hunting kind of progressed to bow hunting and then pheasant hunting. And I just kept, you know, wanting to try new things and stuff. And then eventually my uncle started trapping. So, I was in college at the time that he started trapping. And uh, so when I came back from school, I would just run, you know, ride along, run the line with him a little bit. And that kind of progressed to, okay, I want to learn more about what's going on here. So I started running the line with him then. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what got me into the outdoors and everything kind of stemmed and led to, now I'm mostly into Deer hunting, trapping, pheasant hunting, but, you know, I always try to do it all. <laughs> yeah, I'm say, I've noticed that following you and all of our guys follow you. It's just impressive what you do because you don't see very many women in the outdoors, especially trapping. You see a lot of girls hunting and doing some bird hunting and stuff, but I can't. I honestly can't even think of half a dozen uh, women trappers I know. So I thought that was really cool and really unique. And uh, also, we got John Boy here. I don't remember if I told you uh, who was going to be with us, but this is John. We call him the Kansas King because he kills giant Kansas bucks. Sweet. How are you doing, Kansas? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really good. But, uh, John, you got anything you want to ask right here at the beginning before we get into it? Hot know, and heavy? You know, it's really kind of cool to hear that backstory. Like Gavin's saying about the whole trapping side of it, you do not hear about very many women trapping, like, and to me, that's kind of getting to be a lost art. You know, even where I'm from in Kansas, you used to have everybody running trap lines. And oh, absolutely. Working, you know, our predation level is just going through the roof without it. So it's really nice to kind of be able to pick your brain. And as I think uh, here this next year, I'm going to get into trapping and kind of start getting my coyote and coon population down a little bit. Right. Well, like you said, it's kind of a lost art and things like, trapping nuisance like coons and that kind of stuff there's a lot of coons around lately and it didn't used to be like that because everybody would you know everybody would Mm -hmm. be into trapping and there was actually money in it so more and more people did it whereas now you know without money in it and like you said kind of a lost art you have more nest raiders like raccoons so they're hurting you know the duck population they're hurting any ground nesters basically so Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah, that's a good point. we recognize that. So we've been. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, I'm seeing it a lot in our turkey population. Like we used to have quite a few turkeys 
And now you might see three or four, like, throughout the whole spring. So I think they're taking a really big toll on our turkeys. Oh, absolutely. We noticed that, too. We have one property where we stopped having turkeys on it. And this last year, we kind of went hard on catching coons on that property. And we have two turkeys there right now, but two's a start. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's coming back, at least. Yeah, and one thing I, I just don't know why I never really thought about it, but it was like the the geese and the ducks and stuff. I always everybody thinks the turkeys for your nest predators and stuff, but like not the ducks and everything, I just don't duck hunt, so it doesn't really ever cross my mind. But they do they they put a big hurting on them. Oh yeah, anything that lays eggs on the ground, they can get to. Yeah, wow. and uh, one thing I want to talk to you, Katie, is just about like being a woman in the outdoors because we've done a couple podcasts uh, with women, but not too many. So we just kind of like to get your guys' perspective on things because I'm sure it's a lot different uh, doing what you're doing, being a woman. Just It's just the day and age we live in, you know. So I'm just curious, is it different, do you think, uh, coming from the woman's perspective in the like coming in the outdoor industry and trapping and all that? Do like people look at you a little different, you think? Well, somewhat. You know, there's always those challenges where like, like you go into a gun shop and you're standing there at the counter waiting for someone to help you and and everybody helps all the guys around you, you know, like yeah. you notice things like that all the time, which personally, I don't really let that get to me, but um, I think women are making a strong comeback in like the outdoor industry or maybe not a comeback, but like there's tons of people saying out there too, like there's more women in outdoor activities, like hunting, trapping, you know, all that kind of stuff than there ever has been. So I think that's pretty cool. But you do still notice, like, you know, maybe you give advice for something and people kind of look at you like, well, well, you're a girl. You don't know what you're talking about when it's like, no, actually, I do. <laughs> yeah. 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 Come on. Let's compare notes here and I'll show you. Right. <laughs> And say what but, you're doing, you got a very active page, and I mean, you're always hunting, you're always trapping. Yeah, I think I've seen you do a little fishing as well. So that's just it's rare, and it's 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 hard to have that mindset to to just want to do that stuff. Most people don't realize how much work goes into it. I'm especially the trapping side. I'm sure having to go check traps daily. I'm not for sure if you have to check them daily, but yeah, you know, Wisconsin, it's a daily rule. So okay, Every- and um. Yeah, John, I just lost my train of thought, so save me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I had to have a question for you. What do you look for when you decide to set your your location, like for coyotes? Well, it kind of depends. So, like, as far as property-wise, we've always trapped, like, starting where we hunt and then our friends hunting land and just kind of, like, around here. Um, wherever we can get access to, I always trap somewhere where I'm able to check it every day. You know, like I'm not driving 45 minutes out of my way every day to go check traps. So that's one, like with a full-time job, it's just not, not possible to do that for three months of the year. So, um, as far as like where to set on a property, everybody says set on sign, which is great. If you see sign set a trap there, you're going to catch a coyote. But Mm -hmm. there's a lot of properties that don't necessarily have sign all the time, or like it's not a time of the year where you can really see much sign. You know, if the ground's frozen, there's no snow, they're not leaving tracks. So they could run through there and you wouldn't know that. Um, We primarily catch coyotes in cables. So we'll find trails um, 
and typically tall grass is like an ideal place to set but we'll find trails in tall grass and we'll set cables on every single one of those trails I mean maybe not every single one but you know we find the main ones and eventually when you get the coyotes running through that property they're going to be running down those trails so primarily tall grass is the I would say the easiest place to set not that you can't set it we have tons of sets and other types of spots too but anywhere you see a game trail you're going to have coyotes using that same trail and when you're using cables uh i don't know if the wording's bad i haven't trapped in years i trapped when i was younger and haven't done it for about eight years or something but we used to snare them a lot in in uh, virginia when i lived there and we did the same thing and i'm guessing once you get on those trails do you guys kind of try to funnel them into that like uh putting some brush around and to make kind of a hole yeah exactly like, like if if maybe the trail's a little wider than your cable is, then you can kind of guide them. You don't want to be too, you know, aggressive with guiding. You can't like make a tunnel for them to go through because they're not going to go through it, but you can subtly kind of guide them or make sure their head's going to be up. And then like, you wouldn't want to set cables right on the field edge. You'd want to set them back in the grass aways because most animals, when they come out to an opening, they're going to stop. And you want to catch them while they're still, you know, running, distracted, you know, not really paying attention where they're going to be more cautious coming up to a field edge. So, you know, in that situation, you'd try to get it back a little farther. But, yeah, you you kind of guide them where you want them to go to. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting I've noticed throughout the years um, when you're talking about sign, I know bobcats do this pretty often. I'm not sure about coyotes, but on my property. Uh, they use like the same, like you call it like a litter box. The bobcats that go through, they poop on the same spot on this property every time. And the coyotes do it majority of the time too. I, I just didn't know if that's something you notice or it's something they do all the time, or maybe it's just a, a unique thing. I haven't personally seen like a coyote in the same spot like that. Um, bobcats, I've seen as even like they'll walk in their same tracks. Um, you've, there'd be bobcat tracks going one way and the next day you can see that they're stepping in the same exact footprint. So that's kind of cool about bobcats too. Um, coyotes, there's spots, if you know what to look for, like marking posts that mm -hmm. stand out like on their trails, you'll see like maybe not the same one mark that trail, but like if you take a dog with you and they mark a spot, you're like the coyote would mark that same spot. So there's like, I don't know, when a stump sticks out or a rock or certain things you can kind of pick up on. And then if you set footholds, which we set some, but that would be like a spot to set a foothold. How long have you been trapping? I know you said you got out of college. I'm not sure how old you are. Um, I have been involved with trapping for like six or seven years now. Um, now those first few years, like I said, I was kind of just – riding along on the weekends like hey this is pretty cool oh wow you caught one like that's awesome um and then I did that for like two years before I really started like actually helping set traps back when I thought like wow this is easy like this is great you just ride along catch a coyote like, yeah. and then two years or three years into it I'm like okay like I'm gonna help set traps you know like I want to catch some of these and then it was like, wow, this is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I did is. run my line with my uncle. It was his line, and I kind of helped him out with it for several years. I moved um, last year, set my own line, 
Um, and then I moved back this year and actually I've been helping him with his line again this year. So from your understanding, I've always heard this. I don't know if it's true. It might just be an old timers thing. Or do you think Fox are harder to trap than a coyote? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I think it depends because like how, you know, dogs have different personalities. They're like, some are shy, some are, you know, more bold. It's the Mm -hmm. same with fox or coyotes you know some will like this is referring to like footholds for example like if you put a lure and you have a foothold in front of it and you're trying to lure an animal in there some will walk right up to it and stick their nose in the hole and smell around and some will be cautious so like i don't know if necessarily a fox would be harder than a coyote for us personally we don't have a lot of fox around here so in that sense yeah, they're harder to catch because there aren't as many. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't feel like we miss any more coyotes than we do fox. So Yeah, I think that was my problem in Virginia. Virginia just – I haven't lived there in 10 years, but they just didn't have many coyotes. The Like eight years I lived there, I maybe saw half a dozen, like even driving and everything. But they had a lot of fox. So oh, really? I, I trapped a lot of fox and uh, snared quite a few fox. And uh, the fox would just dig it up with – they would, uh, I mean, I probably wasn't doing everything, like, sitting down exactly like I should have, but I would have those foxes dig my traps up pretty often. I was pretty young. I was early high school back when I was trapping. I come from a, a trapping family. My grandpa, he was a government trapper for, like, 20, 30 years. He was did it for Utah for most of his time, did a little time in California, and I kind of oh, got wow. the blood, and I picked my grandpa's brain. He's an old-timer, man. He's a real cowboy. He don't say much, and uh, he always likes he always likes talking about trapping though. It's just one of those things. I'm basically the only one in the family that brings it up to him, so it's always a good time talking with him and picking his brain. Like just little things, like putting a cotton swab under your your foothold trap, and uh, even a like a some fabric like blue dream blue jeans. You put that over your trap to help it from freezing. It's just the little tips that uh they they do help a lot. Right, for sure. And it totally like anytime you get tips too from like other trappers. You got to pay attention to where they're trapping at because like if you look at if you watch the Alaskan shows and they're throwing footholds in the snow, well, then Wisconsin, you can't throw a foothold in the snow. It'll freeze solid. You know, it it gets warm enough here to thaw and then it'll freeze where it might work in one place. But we personally use wax dirt for footholds to keep it from freezing. And then we put like some, um, it's like tissue paper or like uh, freezer paper, crinkled mm-hmm. up and then put it over okay. the pan. That's what keeps ours from like getting underneath the pan. So it still works, but yeah, there's all kinds safe. of different methods and it kind of depends on where you are too. What works. Yep. Um, so I, yeah. That's just, that, that's even coming with whitetails. Like John come from Kansas trying to give me tips on my Indiana whitetails. They're a complete different whitetails. So, I mean, that just goes with all animals. We always say that about whitetails. Everyone's different. They all got their own personality. So I like that you said that. I never really thought about that in canine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, you know, just like your dogs basically. So. Yep. And like you said, marking their territory. That's one thing I've never once crossed my mind is like a scent post marking spot or a stump or something. And like you said, they probably are just like a dog. When you go walk your dog around the neighborhood, he's on that same telephone pole or same fence. So it yep, it's like it's like the community people. It's like they'll all come by and pee on the same spot. So yeah, 
And uh, a lot of trapping's kind of getting coming back in. I got a lot of buddies that most of them are just getting their raccoons out because they're eating all their corn, which is good. I mean, get them all out. But uh, for somebody who's trying to get into trapping, like, what's like the first step they should do? Well, you have to look at your state's regulations because, like, in Wisconsin, we don't have – so you have to have a trapper's license. Um, and some states, most states, I would say, offer pretty good resources on, like, how to get into trapping. Like, for example, Wisconsin, um, you have to take a trapping course, which is usually two or three days over the weekend. So it's kind of a commitment, you know, to get into something yeah. like that. And you learn so much from the class, though, like hands on. They teach you all kinds of like, I think that's the first step because they will really teach you what to do, what the laws are, what you can and can't do, like all kinds of stuff like that. Otherwise, even just Facebook groups, you know, you can join different groups and see what other people are doing from either your state or, you know, all over the U.S. And that helps a lot with like people ask questions and now you got to look through the comments and you know kind of filter through which ones are serious responses and which ones are just bullshit you know but (laughs) um yeah I mean I got a lot of stuff from Facebook and different YouTube pages too um Stu at Coon Creek is great with like a lot of fur handling advice like when you get to that point but getting into trapping first thing you got to do is see what your state's regulations are for trapping license. And then, you know, there's so many resources as far as the people teaching the classes and stuff are always happy to help. So. Yeah. Luckily we grew we're growing up in the, right now we are in the media age. And that's just one thing when I was, I'm 28, John's in his thirties. He's a little older than me. And they just didn't have that. Especially when we were young, YouTube was starting to take off when I started like maybe middle school and maybe a little earlier and like nowadays, it's just if you if you want information, you're going to find it. But like you said, you kind of have to pick through it because anybody can post this information saying they know exactly what they're talking about. And maybe they do. Maybe they don't. So uh, right. you just got to keep that because one guy could give you a tip that could possibly ruin it. So maybe look at if you're trying to figure out one thing, maybe get a couple sources from it. But I think it's really cool that Wisconsin does that. Cause as far as I know, Indiana, I think anybody can go buy a traffic license. As far as I know, I haven't really trapped in Indiana. So I don't haven't looked at the regulations, but that, that is a great idea because I feel like if you're starting traffic, you probably really don't have any idea what you're doing. So if you get an expert to help you, it's kind of like hunter safety course. When I took like when I was eight years old, I still remember a bunch of stuff from that from that two or three day course. Right. Yeah. And even like if you look at Wisconsin's laws and they're like telling you what a legal cable restraint is and it talks about all the pieces on it. And if you didn't know anything about trapping or didn't have a background or like a mentor to help you, you probably wouldn't even know what pieces they're talking about, you know? So you're like, I got this cable. Is it legal? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so my dad had, he grew up in Utah right when he met my mom. He was young and uh, he was around my dad trapping. So he had a little background. He could tell me a lot. He's, he was the same way. He was like, I'm not an expert. I was like, we could probably catch some. So. I did that, did a lot of studying. My dad bought some trapping books. I don't read, but I did read those, flipped through most <laughs> of the pictures and looked at the, the pictures on there. But there is a lot of different people that you can go through because trapping's been around, I mean, forever. It goes back probably hundreds and hundreds of years, you know. 
Oh, right. Absolutely. I think having a mentor, like you said, like that is huge. Like if you can find someone that's willing to help you, like that's just going to make it so much easier too, which unfortunately not everybody probably has access to that. But I think if you look hard enough, you, you find someone willing to help you. So. Yep. And you you definitely need to know your regulations, like little things like you were saying on your cables. I know they have to have a stopper so it can't choke them out. Right. Yep. Yep. That's what makes Wisconsin's you know, it's essentially the same as a snare. It's just got the stopper on it. So technically it's cable restraint. Okay. Yeah. That's what we had to use too. And I liked it, man. I liked using the cables. They're just cool. You can put them up quick and easy. You can put 20 of them out fairly quick compared to making trap sets and stuff. So. Yeah, exactly. And what kind of area are you in, Katie? Are you in like big ag country or is it open in Wisconsin? Never been out that way. Um, it's, well, it depends where you are in the state. You know, if you go farther north, yeah. it's pretty wood. You know, it's just the national forest, basically. Um, farther south, like where I'm at, we're kind of in sand country. So it's pretty sandy, but it's a good mixture of there's some big fields, but it's not like it's not like fields you'd see in South Dakota where they're mile by a mile. Yeah. So it's a good combination. It's hilly here in the part of the state that I'm in, but not not super hilly um you know when you get farther west you get more like bluffs and stuff and more rocky but in this area it's probably 50 50 egg and woods um maybe a little more egg than woods but um there's some low marsh land too where i trap but wisconsin that's what's cool about wisconsin it really depends where you are in the state on what the terrain is like so looking through your pictures and been following you for a while, you trap a lot. You're not just trapping coyotes and some coons. Like if, if you can say it off the top of your head, I don't know. It, it's a lot of animals. I can't think of them off the top of my head. But like what all have you trapped even this year or all together? Um, well, this year it's been mostly coyotes. I actually just got into coon trapping this year. You always catch accidental coons, but I've never like targeted coons. Mm-hmm. So, um, I was going after coons this year, so I've caught a handful of them. Um, Beaver trapping, or any water trapping, I guess I've really gotten into in the last two, three years. Um, So, yeah, anytime people will call me if there's, like, nuisance beaver, you know, like, hey, this crick runs through my yard and the beaver are eating off all my trees I just planted, that kind of stuff. So I actually really enjoy beaver trapping i haven't got my otter yet this year in wisconsin we get two otter tags so hopefully i'll get one of them here when the ice starts to thaw but um, what are those water traps called like the pass-through traps oh like a um like a kind of bear yep 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 i know a lot of people yep. for beavers they'll find like a, a a mud slide where they're sliding and they'll set it right there and they'll slide right into it yep exactly i've and never done that are, notorious too for like if you're walking down a creek and you see otter poop they will always come to that toilet so really yep they have multiple spots along their creek but they are creatures of habit and they will go down the same trails it might take a week it might take two weeks for them to come back but they will always come back to that spot yep i I have noticed that on my family property Uh, we got a creek that runs through it the creek gets drained off from a lake and then that runs into what's called the blue river which is a a smaller river that runs into the bigger one 
and we get a lot of otters every year. Like every time I put that camera on the creek, like like you were saying, pretty often them otters are running down, and I think we've had seven in one picture before. Which oh wow, that's wild. cool. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I've I don't think I've ever seen them maybe once or twice while I was actually hunting, but otters are they're they're cool animals. They're like they're little curious things. Right. Yeah. So I've been more into the beaver, otter, and muskrat trapping in the last few years, which I'm having a lot of fun with. It's um, a lot of different situations when you're starting to deal with water, which I guess you can say that with land too, but it kind of seems to fall back on like, you're still setting a cable restraint. You're still setting it on a run. Mm-hmm. Whereas with water trapping, you sometimes you got to be kind of creative. Yep. Yep. You ever do any like weasel trapping or I don't even know if they're called weasels, minks or whatever. Um, so we don't have mink in this part of the state. I drew a fisher tag last year and caught a fisher. So that was a little farther north. They're pretty big, um, right? A yeah. They're like the size of an otter. Okay. I, think, yeah, I was talking long. to Angela about those because we don't have them in Indiana, I don't think. Yeah, they're oh. mean. They're like more populated, like more north, but they are like the wolverine of the Midwest. They are vicious. Huh, I would never <laughs> thought that. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I've caught an ermine. I tried catching some ermine this year, and I failed miserably, so I kind of gave up on that. <laughs> Katie, what the hell is an ermine? I've never heard that in my entire life. <laughs> no, me neither. It's like, um, it's like a little Steve white Irwin. weasel. It's like a oh. short tail weasel or a long tail weasel. It's like the little white ones. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, like yeah, I know what you're talking about now. Bigger than a mouse, but smaller than a squirrel. Okay. Wow. I saw, I don't know what it was. It was pretty small. It was like a weasel or something. It was running right down the creek when I was sitting in the blind. He was pretty small, though. It was like the size of a ferret. Uh, Maybe a mink. Yeah, it might have been a mink. He was brown, probably like lighterish, darker, kind of dark yeah. brown. I bet that'd be a mink. Okay. John boy, man, you ain't got no experience trapping. No, you got zero. Questions. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering, Katie, do you prefer baits over lures or do you prefer lure over baits? So with cables, you don't use either. Okay. Um, when I do set footholds, which I don't want to pretend that I'm the best at setting footholds, <laughs> but I have been more successful with putting a lure on top and putting a bait in the hole. So whether the bait's like, you know, a bait that you would buy or even like a mouse, you can dig a hole, set the trap in front of the hole, stuff a mouse down in that hole, and then some sort of attractant on top is usually what I do. But like I said, I wouldn't take advice from me on footholds. <laughs> sometimes when I'm successful, I'm like, hmm, must have got lucky. <laughs> That was always, like, my go-to. Like, we put out some cables, but uh, I don't know why I just gravitated towards uh, the foot traps. And I had decent success with it. Like I said, they would dig it up sometimes. And we'd do some different sets just trying things. The dirt hole sets worked the best for us. And I'd kind of set some, like, pieces of wood, kind of funnel them into it. And one thing I heard was interesting. I heard it this week. I've never seen it until this week. Uh, I'm not sure if you have. They I can't remember who it is. Some famous trapper guy he's got this little box that sounds like a mouse squeaking and people put it in their dirt hole sets and i thought that was like wow that's a good idea oh really yeah that is interesting i guess it works for like five days and the guy that was putting it in there you could hear it just sound like a little mouse squeaking in the hole and i'm sure it works good huh, that is a good idea 
I'm sure Coyote's got really good hearing, just it's probably as good or better than your house dog. Right. Absolutely. Let's go into kind of like, I kind of want to hear more about being the woman in the industry, just because we don't get to talk to a whole lot of women. And uh, what's the support like between the women? It seems like it's really good. Everybody I've talked to and everybody I've had podcasts, they say, for the most part, everybody's pretty positive. And you guys hold each other up a lot better than the men, it seems like. Oh, absolutely. I think like, like you said, everybody kind of supports everybody else. And, you know, if you're gonna, I don't know, I just feel like we're always supportive of each other and asking each other questions and like, even just sharing each other's stuff. Like, I'm always like, Oh, that's so cool. Like, look at what this, you know, woman did. And not to say that's always a woman, a woman that I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of support with women compared to men, but I don't know what the, I think maybe because we're the underdogs, there's not as many of us that we kind of have to stand together. And I feel like we're more open to asking each other questions too. I mean, I get a lot of questions from men, but I get quite a few questions from, I get more questions from women too. So I don't know if it's just more comfortable for women to ask women for advice. Women but, just don't have ego. Guys are just got too much ego. And they're like, oh, I can't, yeah. ask for, I can't ask for help. You don't know no better than me. And that's right? one thing, just, just having a girlfriend for years. They're just, you guys are a lot more thoughtful about things, you know, just, you, just a little bit more caring. Guys are a little bit more honoring. Right. <laughs> but, uh, John, you got anything you'd like to ask about, like, her being a figure in the outdoors? He, John's pretty busy. He must be doing something again. But <laughs> so, um, what? Yeah, what is it like? You, I'm sure, like you say, people reach out to you. Do you? I'm sure you have some young kids. I know you go to a bunch of these shows and stuff. I kind of like to talk about uh, what you're doing at these trade shows and stuff because I know you're you're a supporter of a girls' clothing brand, which is one thing I've noticed throughout the years. I'm kind of curious what it was like because, as far as I know, they didn't really have a specific clothing brand for women until semi recently past few years you know i know she came she can will come out you use uh dsg i believe is that what it's called yep yep it stands for doing something great yep and uh i just think that's awesome like i'm sure it was kind of annoying you've been hunting since you were young so i'm sure you were probably wearing men's clothes when you were young weren't you i was wearing men's clothes until like three years ago (laughs) yeah see that's what i thought like everybody i've talked to that's just how it would be and you got your bodies aren't the same so i'm sure it was uncomfortable right you had so like i'm small so I had to get like kids clothes a lot of times and then they're like so short on me they were ridiculous (laughs) and like you know the mismatch camo and all that and it's fine but it's just so nice to finally be in clothes that actually fit women and they're so functional for women it's huge and there's you know several brands out there trying to do the same thing but I'm just glad the more, um, the more, the more industries out there promoting women's clothing, you know, the more, sorry, my dog's barking. Oh, we all got dogs. <laughs> we get it. My dog's yeah. outside. So that doesn't happen. Just my dog's crazy. over here chewing on the bones. <laughs> my dog will be scratching at the door trying to get in here. Right. No. So what are we saying? The more women that, um, or the more women companies that are out there, the more, if there's just one company selling something, 
they're not going to improve it because it's the only option. But when yeah. you're competing, you're going to get better women's gear. And I think that's cool about like, I personally have DSG, but there's all kinds of brands out there. And I love everything that they're doing in the industry. Well, and you know, it's kind of like the same thing with my kids, uh, like Blake, my 11 year old, even Cabela's and stuff. Sometimes it's hard to even find something for youth. So I can only imagine, you know, for a woman. Yeah, absolutely. So what type of set do you use? Like, do you prefer using for like otters? Um, so I've caught otters in like a 330 kind of body grip trap, um, okay. which it would be like on a run. So it would be like a natural funnel or okay. like a little creek off of maybe a bigger creek. Um, I've also caught them on blind sets to their toilets. So I'll put a foothold and attach it to a cable and put a weight out in like the river. Yeah. And those footholds will be in wax dirt. So they'll be on land and okay. you'll just catch them when they come out of the water and run up to wherever their toilet is you'll ah. catch them in that foothold and then they'll actually follow that cable out to the water and all or yeah all water traps are lethal so everything that you catch in them are dead when you get there just because it's um, more controlled okay Whereas, gotcha. like, now and is that as far as that goes is that like a more of like they drowned or not yep that would be like a drowning rod basically okay. or a drowning cable Okay. And now with the otters, do you use any kind of bait or lure for the otters? Um, no, I haven't for otters. Um, some people will say they'll use like shellfish or, you know, mm -hmm. something that's their food. I've never needed to do that. Um, for beaver, I'll use caster as their lure okay. though. Like I'll make caster mounds and kind of do the same thing, except oh. for beaver, I leave the foothold in the water. Oh, okay. So I don't have to worry about it, like, freezing in or anything, which I, mean, yeah. I guess you could do that to a toilet, too, depending on what your situation is. But yeah. I usually try to find a ledge, pile up some mud, put some beaver caster on there, um, and then put that foothold right where they're going to step to get up and check out that caster mound. Gotcha. Okay. And do you guys have, like, up there, do you guys have a big beaver problem? Like, are you guys just trapping them for the fur, or are you trying to trap them to control the population as well? Um, there's not – the farther north you go, the more water there is, so the more beavers there are. Okay. Um, in this area, there's certain places where there's a problem. I wouldn't say there's, like, an overabundance of them, but there's more than people think. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, I've had actually people say to me since I caught these last few beavers, they're like, we have beavers around here. It's like, yeah, we have lots of them. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're not out in the woods looking or you don't know what to look yeah. for, you're not seeing them because they're only out at night for the most part. Yeah. That's kind of like our coyote population here. You don't, you don't see them very that often, you know, as often as you'd think. But if you actually like, if you're going to trail cameras, or you go out after a fresh snow and there's coyote tracks everywhere. And then it's like, yeah, you just don't see them. But there is a ton of coyotes. <laughs> you can say that about everything in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. That's right. They're elusive for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Katie, I'm curious. 
you ever got into a situation that scared you a little sticky situation trapping like maybe a a bobcat or something something like maybe when you were younger right when you started doing it you're like oh i don't know if this is for me so (laughs) last year this is just the first thing that comes to mind um i caught a snapping turtle that was still alive in a trap and turtles freak me out anyway (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying, I'm like by myself trying to release a snapping turtle and it keeps like going at me. And if someone had a video of that, it would have gone viral because I was like yelling at the turtle, like, knock it off. Like I'm trying to release you. (laughs) I guess I wasn't like scared, scared, but I, you know, there's a few things too that you'll catch, um, like Actually, my first otter was still alive when it was in the trap, and they're not supposed to be. Otters are very vicious. Oh, <laughs> yeah. They got some um, teeth on them most people wouldn't know. Oh, yeah, and they are not happy when they're in a trap. So, <laughs> Oh, man. But um, I don't know. Anything else? It's like usually, I mean, they're restrained. So, like, I'll walk right into the catch circle of a coyote. They're not going to come at you. Oh, really? Um, no, I mean, not to say once never came at anybody, but for the most part, yeah. they're more afraid of you than you are of them. So, so no, what about when I've seen? Oh, cats are mean. <laughs> cats are mean. So, um, I have never. You have to draw a cat tag in Wisconsin. Okay. There's a decent number of them. Like, there's definitely more and more, but you get one tag like every two to three years ish in southern wisconsin i haven't drawn a tag yet because i kind of went back and forth with applying for the northern zone and the southern zone so i should draw a tag last year but i've never caught a cat my uncle caught a cat and they released it three years ago i want to say oh and you use a catch pole and Once they're released, like this was in a cable, so we had to use a catch pole. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he said it was pretty cool, and you know, the cat's obviously not real thrilled to be there, but right. And now, when you Uh, say when you draw a tag, is that tag only good for one cat? Yep, yep. So you get same with there's several things like fishers you got to draw tags for, um, uh, otter. You used to only get one otter tag a year. They bumped it up either last year or the year before to two otters. So there's certain things that you can only catch so many of, and you can only catch, like, an otter or a fisher if you have a tag. No, and I'm not sure. I don't think, though, that we have a limit, like, on bobcats because I'm pretty sure there was a guy not very far from, uh, from town and actually not very far from where I worked that he caught over 40 cats last year. Wow. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, there's a lot of areas where, like, bobcats are really a problem. And they say, like, once you've got bobcats on your property, you have problems because. Yeah, and we've got a lot of cats. I've got one farm that it was almost this last year, almost every time you were sitting uh, deer hunting, you saw saw a bobcat. I mean, there's there's a lot of them. Yeah. Can you guys flag bobcats in Wisconsin? Um, you mean like to lure them in? Yeah, like with like a turkey feather or something. So you can, but you can't use a turkey feather. You could use a ribbon or like shiny tinfoil, you know, whatever. But you can't use any like 
natural, like, I don't know what the word is, but you can't use a feather. You can't use, if you have meat or any sort of bait, it has to be covered up, like, stuff like that. Okay. And for people like, why would you flag them? Um, Well, a bobcat is, you know, similar to a house cat, where if they catch something catches their eye, they're going to go investigate it. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more bold than, like, a canine would be as far as, like, they'll crawl into a hole. Like, you can put a box trap out and catch a coyote. Or, mm-hmm. excuse me, catch a bobcat. Hmm. Or, like, if you hang something. So, I've never personally seen this happen, but they say, like, if you hang a feather or a ribbon or something, the cat will want to come by and play with it. You know, like your house cat would if you dangle a feather above it. A lot of guys here say they use like a blank CD and hang it from there. And as it's spinning and it's reflecting, they're just curious and they have to go check it out. Exactly. We actually tried that. Um, gosh, this was like three or four years ago now. My uncle had a bobcat tag and we were trying to catch one and we tried that. And I mean, it didn't work, but we also had never really seen bobcats down here at that point. Right. So who knows if. It didn't work because there weren't any here, or it didn't work because they didn't care about the shiny CD. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, one thing I saw, I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't know this was a thing. I mean, I should have assumed it was, but I saw you doing some like type of trapping seminar or something. I saw a bunch of people, and you were like teaching them. I'm guessing the ropes, how to set traps and stuff. If you oh, talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. So, um, at the National Trappers Association Convention, which this year is in Escanaba, Michigan. Um, I go there with Trapping Girl, which is a women's trapping company. Um, so Linda White, who owns the company, she started um, the She Side, which is like seminars basically put on by women. Now, not only like men and women attend the seminars, but they always do these seminars throughout the whole show for the weekend and it's always men that are doing these like hour long educational seminars, um, which a lot of men are, you know, there's more men well known in the trapping industry than women. So, and they want people to come by and watch and stuff, but we were kind of like, Hey, we have a lot of knowledge too. And some women would probably rather listen to it from other women too than mm-hmm. men. So Linda started the she side and I'm actually going to do it again this year talking about cable restraints, but um, yeah, all weekend, every hour they have seminars put on and it's all by women. So it'll be, I did cable restraints, but there's people talking about footholds, water trapping, skinning, like all kinds of stuff. That's awesome. That's what it's all about. Like that's what we're about here at the White Tail Bloodline. We're trying to get anybody and everybody who's interested in the outdoors in the outdoors and, we try to be informative and just so maybe you can learn something here or there. And so that's, that's super awesome. And it look it looks cool. Like your little display that I saw a picture of you messing with, it, was, it, it looked legit. Yeah. It looked like they, do, they do a really great job um, setting everything up for you. Cause you have like, you know, they'll put a little thing out and you got water, grass, and they were super good there too about like, they came out and asked everybody who was speaking in it. They were like, what do you need? Like, we'll add this, we'll add that. Like, what are you going to do? So, yeah, they were really awesome there, too, about, like, helping us get that started. You got some big fans from the young generation, young girls. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, that's awesome. And I'm like, sorry, this might have this might offend some guys, but you know, being married for what twelve years now, eleven, twelve years now, sometimes there's a lot of times that when a woman something, she knows what the hell she's talking about. And most of us <laughs> guys, we can out be be out wandering around serious about what we're doing, and all of a sudden, oh look, a butterfly, and we get so <laughs> sidetracked by something that we you know veered off course, but a in just my experience, it's like the women are more attentive and more focused on what they're doing than men half the time. Oh, yeah. They're it's smarter than us, man. Men are dumb compared to women. <laughs> they are. You said it, not me. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty sure that's 100% facts. I think my girl would highly agree with that one, too. It is. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's awesome. That's just what it's all about, getting kids in the outdoors, getting more women just because – there, there hasn't been throughout the years and it's awesome that it's getting more popular and I think social media has a big part to do with that just because back in the day like other girls women couldn't look at somebody and be like oh wow she's doing this but now they got people like you who's got a good following and you're doing it right and doing it for right reasons and with a passion so I just think social media it's 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 a great thing for the most part some things are bad about it but in the long run I think social media is great and it's uh it's, it helped the outdoor industry tremendously. Oh, absolutely. And that's like why I started. I used to do all these things and just not share any of it. And I've gotten yep. more into trying like different things too because of it. But that's the reason that I kind of started sharing everything is like, this is awesome. Like I want other women to be into this stuff too. And like, I want to set an example and like show other women that like you can do all these things. Yeah. I'm sure you want some friends too. It's always nice to have some friends that are like minded. You know, that's how me and John met. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The whole social media side and everything, I think it's a good thing. And um like in the future, like where where do you do you see like trapping and the, the outdoors going, Katie? You've well, been you've been in it for a long time. You've you've seen a lot change. It's hard when I'm like so far in the heart of trapping to see I mean, I, I see it dwindling, too, but I also see, like, the positive, like, uprise of it and all people's efforts to, like, keep it going. Unfortunately, like, there's not a lot of support in trapping and, like, even people who are really avid deer hunters or, you know, hunters for anything, they still bash trapping, too. And the way I look at it, it's, like, all these things, hunting, trapping, fishing – Trapping is the easiest thing to target. So the antis go after trapping. Yeah. Whereas if the antis are going after it and the hunters are going after it, trapping's yeah. going to die. Yeah. But the 100%. antis aren't going to be satisfied with like, oh, cool. We put a stop to trapping. Like there's New Mexico, you know, they lost their trapping rights recently. Really? I didn't really? know that. There's a, there's a lot of like, I mean, California, they I mean that's kind of an ongoing issue but there's all kinds of states under attack and I mean that's what like NTA does is they all the money from their memberships and stuff goes towards like keeping our trapping rights but unfortunately like our I would say like like-minded people aren't the type of people to be like sitting on social media and like I guess just like broadcasting I don't know I feel like like we're not going down to the capital and 
like marching for our rights you know what I mean so right, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very that's why like I always say like if you can just buy like an NTA membership and like let them handle it like help where you can but like the least you yeah. can do is put a little bit of money towards like keeping your rights um yep. but with the antis like I feel like once they they're not going to be happy or they're not going to be satisfied if they abolish trapping and you can't trap anymore, they're not going to stop there. They're going to go hunting next. That's that's what we we all got to stick together. It's like, if you're in the outdoors and you love hunting, you love trapping, whatever it is, it all correlates together. Like you're saying, because they're not going to stop. Exactly. I just shake my head every time I see like you, I get comments and it kind of goes in waves, but just about like different things that I'm doing with trapping and when hunters start bashing me i'm just like are you kidding me like you don't even you know, I don't know. like you don't I don't, even i'm understand. sorry if you're any kind of a hunter <laughs> whitetail hunter upland bird hunter duck hunter whatever you are if you are not for trapping and keeping predators under control you can this is just my opinion some people might not like this you are not an outdoorsman you are not thinking about your generations of even your whitetails coming up because when you look at it how many like fawns say that coyotes eat every year it is absolutely mind-blowing so you don't that tells me that you don't care about what your future holds that all you care about is your things and right now that's it exactly people put too much emotion in it too like um you know you you have to you don't have to personally trap but if somebody's not managing the population of predators you know, that's going to affect the prey. So oh, if yeah. you're not managing coyotes, you're going to see a difference in your deer herd. When you start managing coyotes, you know, you're going to see a difference for the better in your deer in your deer herd. So yeah. it kind of all goes together. And I always say, even if you don't want to be the one trapping animals, like you got to support it. Yeah, 100%. I wish I knew somebody that would trap so they could go out here and help me control, you know, I got on call coyotes every, you know, once in a while, but, you know, I, I'm really thinking I need to take up trapping just to kind of help keep my numbers down. Absolutely. And that's how we started too. We weren't like, wow, the fur market is really good. Let's go catch some furs. You know, it was, yeah. wow, our deer population, we don't see very many fawns. We should do something about that. Yeah. Yep. I think it, it boils down to most people are just uninformed especially like the the haters like the trapper haters who are the PETA and everybody's trying to shut you down and that's just like the worst thing is when people are bashing you like you said other hunters are bashing you and some people just don't realize when you put a bad light or you say something negative to people a lot of people don't can't handle that like sounds like you Katie you can handle it pretty well you got a <laughs> some some thick skin but some people can I've always been that type of person even growing up in grade school and high school those kids that just can't fight their own battles just because they're not comfortable doing it or not, not saying they're weak or anything, but they're just, some people just don't like doing that. And I've always tried to be a voice for people. Like I've gotten many fights, seen some guys picking on some kid who doesn't deserve getting picked on. So I'll punch them in the mouth. And I noticed that <laughs> on social media, like people will be bashing them and like John and Angelo and Tyler on my team, they give me some crap for it. But I lay into people. If I see somebody being negative or, uh, laying into another hunter, I, I give it right back to him because the only way to fight a bully is being a bully back to him. Yeah. That's absolutely. how I feel. Yeah, for sure. I kind of want to switch where we're going with this because I really want to hear about your whitetails, Katie. You had a good year on whitetails. And, I uh, did. 
Actually, this was the first year that I shot one with my bow and with my rifle in the same year. Usually, it's just one or the other, but. Yep, and I noticed you got your first target buck, so I kind of want to hear about it, Katie. Let's let's talk whitetails. <laughs> this is the whitetail bloodline. I've been itching to hear it. Right? Um, yeah, so I kind of, looking at cameras and stuff, had a few picked out, and this, I shot a six-pointer. Um, this six-pointer, though, was, like, it was a three-and-a-half-year-old deer. It was only a six-pointer, so I was like, you know what? That's pretty cool. He's only six points, but he's still a decent size, um, and he's an older deer, so he's the perfect one to pick out, and I actually had a terrible year as far as seeing deer. Um, I only saw a handful of bucks all season, which is in within shooting range was, like, maybe one or two, and yeah. typically, like, I'm out there five, six days a week. And I have two years ago, I guess I was just kind of spoiled two years ago. I could not go in the woods without having at least a two and a half year old, a pointer at a minimum walk under my stand. I was just in the right spot in the right, right time all year. So to go from that to this year, I like hardly saw anything. I was like, what is going on? And those um, those bucks mean a lot too when you when you're grinding it out not seeing much and then you kill them I'm sure you're fired up absolutely and so I was out one night a storm was rolling in and um I was sitting on the corner of a cornfield and then kind of a trail through the woods on one side and then it was you know 30 yards away was the fence line so this deer actually came down the fence line through the opening turned around and walked back past the trail um I ended up shooting him he was at like 20 it was a little over 20 22 yards um quartering away but I had grunted him in which was kind of cool too because um my uncle actually happened to be sitting down the hill from me that night like maybe 300 yards away and he had texted me that he saw a buck that was coming somewhat my way well, of course, I'm not looking on my phone, so I look at it like 10, 15 minutes <laughs> later, and I'm like, oh. Hey, I'm, I'm glad you went on your phone. I, I'm getting worse <laughs> and worse about it. I need to stay off mine. <laughs> well, you know, I have my moments, but at that moment, I was not on my phone. <laughs> um, but anyway, so 15 minutes later, I'm like, oh, great. This deer's like in a different county by now, whatever one you saw. So whatever, I'm grunting, see if I can get him to turn around and come back, or I didn't, he sounded like he was kind of jogging away so anyway I ended up grunting this other one in and I instantly saw I'm like that's the six and you know your mind just switches when you're like yep I'm shooting him you're just set on yep this deer's gonna die okay so he turns around he walks by the trail I shot him quartering away I've never got out of my stand so quickly because <laughs> I had a pass through so I had good blood on the arrow and, um, you know, I, I saw it fall out. So I went and picked it up and I'm looking at it. Well, it's starting to sprinkle now. And I'm like, oh boy, like yeah, yeah. there's a lot of blood on the arrow, but like, I kind of, I'm going to give it a second, but we kind of feel about practice. the shot. Like when you let the arrow go, how'd you feel? I knew it was a little far back. Um, he was quartering away and I didn't, it ended up being a perfect shot, but I didn't think he was quartering away as much as he actually was. Okay. So I was like, I know I hit his lungs. 
based on like the amount of blood and like what I'm seeing, I just thought I hit more of the back of his lungs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I knew I hit him a tad high. So I was like, it might take him a second to start bleeding. Well, then for whatever reason, once I grabbed my arrow and started tracking blood, I was not seeing a lot of blood at all. Um, I was also somewhat, I was also pretty confident in the shot right away too, just by the way he acted, you know, like the jump yeah. and the kick. I'm like, okay, yep, I hit him good. Um, but then there was just like pinhole drops of blood. You know, I was following his tracks more than anything because he just took off like a bat out of hell and he was sprinting. So then I started getting kind of nervous. Like, you know, you question and second guess what, what you saw. Now it's raining and I'm like, you know, now I'm mad at myself because I'm like, I didn't make a good shot. I knew a storm was coming in, blah, blah, blah. So this whole time I was confident and then I second guessed myself and then we eventually ended up tracking the deer and there was hardly any blood going to him, but he was dead at like, he ran maybe 60 yards, 80 yards. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, and he just piled up into a pine tree, but. Yeah, I was I was definitely getting nervous with the amount of blood I was seeing. But it, it sounds pretty similar to my Kentucky buck because I'm glad I had two of my buddies because my buck right when I shot him ran into CRP and I couldn't see any of the blood. The whole time we were walking through it, I maybe saw blood once. They'd be like, "There's blood right there." And I'm like, "I don't see it." And I'm usually good at it, and I, I, for that hunt, I just wasn't too sure about the shot. So I mean, I went to the worst. I was just I don't know why I did. It was my first public land buck, so I went to the worst, but. That is awesome. I've never got a pass full pass through. I've killed quite a few deer with a bow, and I've never got a full pass through. Well, and I see my bow's only set up at thirty five pounds, so I don't shoot a whole lot of weight. So I won't shoot a deer. I mean, like twenty to twenty five yards is pretty much my max. I I'll shoot out at thirty, but you know, not. I try to keep it closer than that. Yeah. Um, I'll some pass through and some don't. It depends if I sneak it through the ribs or not, which obviously yeah. it's just luck whether you miss the ribs or yeah. you hit one but what broadheads are you using I'm, i like the details <laughs> i use 100 grain muzzies okay fixed blade good old good old muzzies tyler's yep. a big muzzy guy i've killed some deer with some muzzies in my days <laughs> so that was your first buck you get two bucks in wisconsin um you get one with your bow and one with the rifle or okay. yeah you just get get the two but not so what time frame was that when you shot your bow bug Oh, when was that? That was like November, like the second week in November, maybe. It was a couple weeks before rifle season. Okay. So, so you were fired like, up, I'm sure. I'm sure your uncle was fired up with you. That's who you're hunting with, right? Yep, yep. He, uh, we, we always rifle hunt together because he took me out when I was 12, rifle hunting. Mm -hmm. So we've always, we like bow hunting and I mean, we like rifle hunting too, but we're always like, nah, this is just kind of social hour. We sit together. We see all the deer. We're kind of deer watchers when it comes to rifle season. <laughs> Bow yeah. hunting, we've never sat together for that. Once in a <laughs> while, we'll be on the same property or like the same end of the property. That night, we just happen to be actually fairly close considering how yeah. we usually, you go to this property, I go to this property. But yeah. When did you when did you pick up a bow? When did I start shooting? Yeah. Um, I was in high school when I started 
shooting a bow. I shot my first bow. I was probably like 17, 18, maybe. So not super young. It's not like I've been doing it since I've been walking like some kids, but. Yeah, that's about when I started. I think I started sophomore year. <clears throat> I shot bows my whole life when I was a kid. I always shot bows, but I didn't pick one up to hunt with it until about that age. And I used a crossbow in Virginia until that age. And I was like, yeah, I should probably put the crossbow down. <laughs> strong enough to pull back 35 now. So. Right. <laughs> so let's hear about this this rifle buck then. The other one was a rifle, right? Yep. So the other one I shot with my rifle. So that one, like I'm – Actually, it's the first 10-pointer I've ever shot. I've gotten nines and eights and, um, you know, but I've never shot an actual 10-pointer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was my first 10. It actually came out at, like, maybe 75 yards. And I'm sitting there, and I'm scoping it, and I'm, like, you know, describing it. The bases got a lot of junk on them. It's this wide, and I'm, like – He'll be a good one for next year. So a little time goes past, and then all of a sudden, another buck runs across the marsh behind us. So I get my gun up, and I'm looking at that one, and I'm like, nope, too small. And then another buck runs in a different area, and, I'm like, all of a sudden, you know, there's there's deer running everywhere. There's probably a hot doe in there. We're like, what's going on? So this buck steps out in the marsh now at, like, 300 yards. And I'm looking at him in the scope, and I'm like, oh, I can't tell if that's the same one or not. So I tell my uncle, I'm like, get your gun out the window and, like, help me decide what, de- you know, what deer is this? Like, I need second eyes out here. And uh, it's standing, the marsh is froze, which is not always froze during rifle season. But when it is, they're standing up higher, so they look bigger. Mm-hmm. The sun just came out. It was, like, glistening on his rack. And he's like, that's a nice one. And I'm like, I think it's the same one. He's like, who's shooting this deer? One of us is shooting this deer. And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, are you shooting this deer? Meanwhile, it's like walking across the marsh. And I'm like, um, I said, like, how far is it? And he said something. Like, and then finally he's like, Katie, are you shooting this deer or am I? So I shot the deer. <laughs> that's um, awesome. Yeah, I walked up to it and I'm like, I, this is the one that we were going to let go. So that was not to say I'm not proud of it still, but a little bittersweet. I was like, oh, this one wasn't supposed to be shot, which our area is really tough. Like we really try the quality deer management, but there's so many people on board and there's so many people not on board. And it's really tough when you get like a lot of two and a half year olds shot. No, this one was a three and a half year old, but I still am really wanting to get to that four and a half year old um, age, you know, before we start taking them. But it's kind of a work in progress. And yeah, that's how it is. Like my family property, the main property I hunt most of the time, I do a lot of management on there and we try to do the same thing. But we got it's only 26 acre property and it's basically 30 acre properties down the whole road. just about everybody hunts on both sides. People hunt on the other third side. They hunt. So it's the same thing. We we still get some older bucks that are passed through, but it's usually the ones that have uh, your worst genetics. And just like you're saying, trying to let them walk. Like I let a great three year old walk this year. Like he was a he would have been a really good four year old. 
I let him walk in the, the end of October, and then I was hunting with my nephew, and this buck walks out at like 30, 40 yards, and it's by far his biggest buck, so I didn't even think twice before, but before I like, smoked that buck, you know, so it is hard, exactly. but uh, it's just if, if you don't let them walk, they, they can't grow. Exactly, and I've always said that too, like I remember even from when I was 12, and my uncle being like, what are you shooting? And I shot my first doe with him during the youth hunt, and then I went with him like during the regular gun season and he's like what are you shooting and I'm like only a buck like I was I was gonna get a buck so I shot a six-pointer and then the next year um he's like what are you shooting this year and I said a buck and he's like how big a buck and I said bigger than last year so he shot one bigger and then the next year he's like what are you shooting and I'm like bigger than last year you know so I always think no matter what what you have for availability it's cool to just, and I mean, everybody can do their own thing. You you can't tell people what they can and can't shoot. But um, if you can like set goals for yourself like that, like just wait for something bigger than what you've previously harvested, you know? Yeah. I think a, that's like rewarding too. Yep. It, it means more when you do that type of stuff. Cause I was the same way. I'd always try to kill a, a bigger buck each year and I'm glad I grew up the way I did. I grew up in a it's brown, it's down family. And in Virginia, you could kill three bucks and stuff. So we, we shot a lot of deer. <clears throat> and I'm glad I shot a bunch of these younger bucks and these smaller bucks when I was young. It just makes you appreciate the big ones when you when you work hard and you actually get one. Because uh, like John Boy, he's got great genetics. Like for me to kill an Indiana buck, anything like John's, I would have to work my ass off. But when you're in these like good uh, good states where these guys that have never lived anywhere else or never hunted anywhere else they they just take it for granted i see it over social media all the time when we're posting bucks we're like this is a it's a monster it's a big buck and they're like that's a teeny buck i'm like must be nice to be uh, <laughs> to have all those great properties walking around with 20 year old bucks but uh throughout most of the country for average joes the average joe would be more than happy to shoot a two and a half year old buck and right. these these guys that have been killing these giant bucks for years and years just because they got great properties. And, yes, they work for it. A lot of these guys, I'm not going to say all of them do, but a lot of guys put in a lot of time to do that. But I've just noticed, like, the way I grew up compared to a lot of the ways these other guys growing up, I 100% more appreciate these deer than they do, just the way I grew up doing it, not having these giant bucks everywhere. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, John, I know – you're the Kansas King, man. Are, are you in here? Are you doing something? Yeah, I'm here. Because <laughs> <laughs> John's killed some giants, man. John, John's the epitome of it. He worked his ass off to be doing what he does. And if you're looking at it from the outside, you just he you just don't know how much work he's putting in. So it's hard to say that stuff about people. But I don't know if you got anything to say about that, John. Uh, yeah, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It does take a lot of hard work. Some guys, you know, they show up to an outfitter. And this outfitter's got them, you know, a 190-inch buck pin down, and they walk in there and shoot it. And, oh, yeah, great. Look at this big deer I shot. But that doesn't work for, you know, that doesn't happen for everybody. So, no, I, you know, I've got a lot of properties that are just broken up everywhere, you know, 80 acres here, 150 acres there. And, you know, our deer just roam a lot. So, it, it's it's a chess match. It's a really big chess match to try to find these deer. And then if you find these deer, you're hoping that when the milo's cut or whatever might happen, that they don't move on to the neighbor's property, which happens all the time. But that's that's what it is. It's just a lot of work. It's it's comes down to how much time and money and everything you want to put into it to make it happen. And it's yeah. what you want out of it because everybody's got different goals. Yeah. People don't realize how much work people actually put into it too. Even people that don't shoot 
necessarily big bucks. Like they're still out there tending to their food plots and even just like the cost of putting in a food plot, you know, or exactly all the stuff that goes into, you know, that one moment where you're going to harvest a deer and whether it's huge or whether it's, you know, your biggest deer or maybe someone else wouldn't think it's that big. It's, it's a lot of work and there's a lot of people out there putting a lot of effort into it too, that people don't realize. And I noticed you did that, Katie. Have you been doing food plots long? I remember seeing one at some point this year where you were spreading some seed out. Yeah, we, uh, we've been doing food plots for like four or five, maybe six years now. Um, You guys noticed a good difference? Absolutely. Um, our biggest food plot. So we have so many deer in our area. Like it's actually a problem. Like we try to shoot those (laughs) as much as we can. Um, it's so hard to get small food plots in the woods to six, like they don't grow fast enough. The deer just kind of mow them off. We have a few like clover plots in the woods that do fine. Um, Mm -hmm. but our big food plot is like four acres and it's, um, our hunting property is on the pipeline. So technically we can't plant anything there like, you know, trees or whatever. So we turn that into a food plot, which unfortunately it's pretty low ground. So it gets flooded out in certain spots. Uh, yeah. It's a big food plot, four, four acres. It's big. Yeah. And we just plant it with like a little two row planter yep. hooked on the track. <clears throat> That's a lot of time. It's fun though. You know, oh, I, I enjoy it. it. Yep. Spring, That's one thing uh, I wanted to get you on the podcast is just because you, you do it all. Like you trap, you hunt, you fish, you're, you're actually out there prepping, which that that's what it's all about. I love seeing that. And it's just rare to see that, especially um, from anybody in the outdoor industry, but more so on the women's side. So I just, we, we love what you're doing. When I told the guys I was finally getting you on the podcast, I, oh, heck yeah, that's going to be a good one. And we were supposed to do this like what, two months ago, but we got busy. <laughs> like so that's had okay. to apologize <laughs> about that one. But yeah, man, we just, we've had a great time talking to Katie and, uh, I know you were thinking about uh, some other topics possibly. I don't know if there's anything that you'd like to cover before we, we uh, do our last thoughts and get off of here. No, I think uh, we covered, we covered a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we did. And it's a good, John, you got any uh, little bit of last thoughts and then we'll get out of here. Well, no, the one thing I was thinking was, you know, you say you guys are kind of overrun with does in some places, you know, does your uh, state or your, your unit or whatever issue you, more doe tags to harvest to try to keep those numbers down oh yeah they they give us so many tags that i would say maybe a third of them are filled a year oh wow yeah it's i think people still have that mindset of like because my uncle even says like it's crazy how many deer we don't shoot or like letting big bucks walk he's like this is unheard of like for my generation um so I think people are still stuck in the time where it was earn a buck and you didn't have any deer. Like people just want to shoot bucks and people yeah. don't realize that you got to shoot those too to shoot bucks. <laughs> yeah. Everybody says more does will be better in the rut, which a lot of studies yeah. prove, prove the opposite. Yeah, exactly. You want to have a more even ratio, which we do not have. And I can't say we've ever gone out and just like, you know, filled all of our tags with those but I always try to get a couple with my bow um mm-hmm. I don't shoot one with the rifle but we'll have other people come out sometimes too and take does and stuff but we'll, you know one property can't take all, out all the does in the county so 
for for your properties, if you had to take a guess, what do you think your buck to doe ratios had? Oh, um, gosh, like I don't know, ten to one. Like it's Ooh, really holy. And crap. I guess I shouldn't say that because we used to not see. We used to see a lot of deer rifle hunting, but we didn't see a lot of bucks. And that's mm-hmm. changed in the last several years. So I would say maybe five to one is more accurate, but it's still, it's still, still pretty high. <laughs> yeah. Like I got lucky with my family property. It's, it's almost even, it's probably, I would say it's two to one, maybe three to one at the max. If we just don't get the genetics, because if it's a good genetic two-year-old, he's probably going to die that year because he's already a, a good buck. If he's got that good genetics, like I got one buck I've been chasing for, this will be going on five years or something. He's old man Jenkins, but he's, I don't even know if he'll break a hundred inches, you know? So most mm-hmm. people just assume he's a smaller buck when they're sitting there with the rifle shooting. But Katie, we're taking up a lot of your time. I appreciate you a lot. It was a great time talking with you. You are a wealth of knowledge and uh, hopefully possibly do this in the future again. But before we do get off here, if you want to plug something or give some shout outs where people can find you. Sure. So um, I'm on Instagram at KDB underscore outdoors and same thing on Facebook. So either one of those spots. Um, I do a lot of stuff with Trapping Girl, Sawmill Creek Outdoors, um, Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, and then um, DSG. And actually, I do a lot with Outdoor Women brand, too. So I'm looking forward to see what you do in the future. Big things coming for you. I already know that. You're going you're gonna to grind it out. And Katie, we appreciate you. If you ever need anything, feel free to reach out to anybody on the Whitetail Bloodline, and we'll do what we can to help you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on, guys. Yeah, thank you, Katie. You have a good one. Yep. Bye-bye.